Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out all the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, And if if you are here and I don't know you, my name is Andrew and I'm one of the pastors here at the Leewood campus. And if you're new, I wanna make sure you know that if you stop by our hello wall out here in the lobby, you're gonna get a couple of gifts, and I wanted to give you a little preview of what those are. So if you go to the hello wall, you will get this little hello booklet right here, which if you love to read about the church, you're going to love to read this because you're going to learn a lot. There's actually a really cool picture of me in here from about five years ago (laughs) that you can keep and treasure, and that's just yours. You get to have that. Uh, You're going to get a little reminder card for our next newcomer coffee, which by the way, is on September 18th during this service. And if you had this, you would already know that. And uh, as G.I. Joe liked to say, knowing is half the battle. But the real prize for you as a guest is this little gift card right here. So you go to that hello wall and someone's there and you, you're, if, you're, uh, if you're new, they're gonna give you this gift card. This is to McLean's Bakery. Now there's one in Brookside but, but there's also one in Leewood on Row and 435. And this is one of my favorite coffee places. And uh, you get a free coffee and a Danish on us, which is really nice. And they're supposed to keep track of these and then charge us later, but they never do. So it's a gift for everybody. <laughs> so you get this. And if you're especially nice, if you're especially nice as a guest and the volunteers feel particularly honored by you. You get this CD. And uh, this is from Randy Bonifield. And uh, if you're new, maybe you don't know who that is. He's, he was our leading on piano here, our worship leader, worship pastor. And uh, he puts together all kinds of his own original music. So if you're really nice, you get this uh, CD from Randy. And all you got to do is find a CD player. And you can listen to this <laughs> anytime that you want. Uh, Gifts are really nice. Everybody likes a gift. Everybody likes a free gift. Uh, when you go to a party, and this is like something new. I didn't do this as a kid, but now you, you, know, you go to a party and 
you get like a little gift bag just for coming, just for arriving at a party. Uh, and it's full of a bunch of little toys and stuff that eventually you have to throw away, but it's fun for like a week and you get a bunch of stuff at the party or you go to a conference and uh, they give you uh, like a swag bag and you get a shirt and a coffee mug or whatever and little gifts are fun. It's what makes birthdays fun and Christmases and Valentine's Days and anniversaries and just a small gift. Uh, but gifts don't actually usually change our lives. Even the kindest guests here today, if you're new and you've played along so far and you're going to go to the hello wall and you're going to get these things I've just described, even if you're the most conscientious and, and grateful person, right, you're going you're gonna to take this little booklet and it might sit on your kitchen counter for a few days. Uh, you might take this little reminder and put it on your fridge and, and you might take this gift card and think about maybe going to McLean's and, uh, right, that, and that's all fine and good, but it's, it's not going to, none of this is going to change how you live each and every day. It's not going to change what you worry about. It's not going to change what you hope for. It's not going to change your goals, your wishes, and dreams. And most gifts don't. But every now and then, a gift comes along that changes everything. And our, our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 2 which we just read, it describes one such gift. We've, we've been in a new series on reconstructing faith, re-examining foundational biblical ideas on which to build a new faith or to rebuild an old faith. And Paul has, who, the apostle who wrote the letter of Ephesians, has already reminded us that the whole Christian life, the reason any of us are here today is because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He references that in chapter 1, verse 20, which we already talked about. But for Paul, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are more than a story. They're, they're not a myth for him. These are events that actually happened in history. And more than that, they represent a gift to everyone. Paul calls this gift, he gives it a name. He calls it grace. He says, grace for you. The, this grace in Jesus is a free gift of God. You can't build any faith or any understanding of Jesus or his church or the world or who you are, why you're here, until you understand the gift of grace. This is what Paul means when he says in this passage, by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace in the Bible is a free gift of God. There's nothing we do to earn it. We can either accept it or we can reject it. But if we accept it, it does not leave us the same. It changes us. Grace changes us in a few specific ways that Paul lays out here. And I want us to take a close look at this together. So if you have your Bibles with you, whether that's in print, it's on an iPad, it's on a phone, Turn to the book of Ephesians in your New Testament. Use the table of contents if you have to. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Let me reread that quickly. This is how Paul begins to describe grace and what it does to us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So when Paul begins to describe this grace and the power it has, what it does, what it changes, the first thing he points out is that grace changes us from death to life. And this is so important to understand. This is critical to understanding the great, our, our, our gift of grace. We cannot build our faith on anything but this idea. When the Bible talks about us, humans, before grace, it says we're dead. Now, it doesn't mean we're literally dead. We're not physically dead. We're physically alive, whether we believe in Jesus or not. But we are spiritually dead without his gift of grace. And I want you to notice with me, there is no more powerful picture the Bible could give for us than death. Right? Paul does not say we're sick and grace makes us well. He does not say we're hurt and grace heals us and makes us whole. He doesn't say we're bad and grace makes us good people. He says we're dead. And there's nothing worse than being dead. And grace makes us alive again. Now Paul is summarizing in this image of life and death. He's summarizing the whole story of the Bible. He's pointing us back to Genesis, the very beginning of God's story with humanity. Chapter 2, when God, if you remember, told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. You will die. Now, if you know the story, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, but they kept on living, didn't they? But something died within them. And it stayed dead in their children and their children and their children, on and on and on, all the way down to us in this room. Their relationship with their creator God was dead. And they physically could go on living, but the implications of that death have played out throughout the biblical history and story and human history. And suddenly we became, all of us, this is the best way I could translate this. We became like an iPad without a charger, right? We, we keep working for a while. The app's open and the volume works and the Minecraft app is still available to you. But we're cut off from the source of life. And slowly but surely, our battery drains lower and lower and lower. This is what it means to be human without God. We can walk and talk, we can work and play, we can rest, but we're dead, even if we don't know it yet. If we don't know God, if we have not accepted his gift of grace, we're dead. But Paul points out, when we do accept Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf and his resurrection on our behalf, Paul says, we are made alive with him. That's what Paul says. We can actually know God. We can be in relationship with him because we've seen him in Jesus. Jesus reveals God to us. This is a basic Christian teaching. He is, Jesus is the perfect picture of who God is because he is God made flesh. 
and we can know and understand the great love with which he loved us. That's in verse 4. We, pl- we plug back into the source of life that we were always designed for. And we find that there's a life available there we never knew. Grace, it, it raises us from death to life. And it also saves us. Second thing, it saves us from wrath with mercy. Okay, I'm going to read this ver- these verses again. Verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead on our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So grace not only raises us from death to life, but it also points out that we are guilty before God. That's what this, behind this word wrath. When you hear the word wrath in English, you probably think of anger, you think of an emotion, you think of an angry person, and that's true. But the idea, the biblical idea is bigger than that. It, it stands for judgment. And what Paul is laying out here is that we all, as human beings, stand before God as his children. He made us. But we are under his judgment. We are guilty before him. Now, that can be a difficult concept for us to understand and to accept, in particular as, as modern Westerners. It's interesting that For much of the world, this isn't that difficult a concept to accept, but it is for us, culturally, it is. Because we are raised and trained in general to think that we are pretty good, lovable people. And I think of Stuart Smalley, who was an old Saturday Night Live character, and he would look in the mirror and say, you're good enough and you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you, right? That's kind of what we do. We're not so bad. And the idea that God thinks that we're guilty and that we're under judgment. That's, that's off-putting to us. It's unattractive to us. It might even be offensive to us. But this is what the Bible teaches consistently from beginning to end. We deserve judgment. We fail to meet God's standard as our creator. And honestly, we kind of know that if we're being honest with ourselves. And and you don't even have to go to God's standard to make this point. Uh, Even you and I, I think if we paid attention, would probably judge ourselves pretty harshly. And all you have to do to understand that idea is to do a little thought experiment. And it's to imagine you live your life with a tape recorder around your neck. Back in the day, this is how you recorded things, by the way. It was a tape recorder. So imagine that's around your neck your whole life. And it only turns on and records something every time we say, well, they should have done this. Or I would never do that. Or the right thing here is this. Or the wrong thing to say is that. And every, every, basically every time we judge another person, their actions, their thoughts, their motives, that tape recorder turns on and it records what we say. Now imagine that happens your whole life and on your deathbed, As you consider yourself and you think, you know, I was pretty good. God's going to be lucky to have me in heaven with him. 
and someone replays that tape recorder over specific scenes in your life. And you hear yourself as a young person saying, you should love your neighbor as yourself, but you see yourself right drop your sister's hairbrush into the toilet. Or you hear yourself say, we should love everyone, but you see yourself posting a hateful comment online about someone you disagree with. And on and on and on that movie could play. And let's be honest, I gave you two softballs there. There are things in each of our lives that if we were forced to watch them again, we would be ashamed. Profoundly ashamed. Profoundly guilty. And if we were forced, while we watched those things, to hear our own voice on how we judged others, what do you think the verdict would be? What would you say? I'll go first. I'm not optimistic. I mean, seriously imagine if we were judged, if we were judged simply by our own standard of right and wrong, how would we fare? And if you, if you need another example, just think about the last 10 things you read on your favorite social media feed. <laughs> it's a lot of things, but it's mostly a judgment factory. We judge how people look. We judge what people say. We judge what people don't say. We judge what they do. We judge what they don't do, who they hang out with, who they, I mean, it's awful, right? We are so good at judging others, we forget that by doing so, we condemn ourselves. We are guilty before God and his standards. We're guilty before our own standards, let alone God's perfect standards. The only difference, actually, between our judgment of one another, which, again, we're really, really good at doing, but the biggest difference between our judgment of one another and God's judgment of us is that he is rich in mercy. This is Paul's point. We aren't rich in mercy, but God is. And his gift of grace is mercy. He offers to us the payment for our guilt if we accept it in faith. Maybe you've heard this before, but we cannot say it too much. When Jesus dies on the cross, part of what he is doing is paying our debt. He is absorbing the wrath, the judgment due to us that we might receive his mercy instead. It is payment for guilt. All that tape recorder stuff and more, the things that we've done and left undone, the mistakes that we've made, the things that bring us the greatest shame as we look back on them, as the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all on the cross. Such that when we put our faith in him, his perfection, his obedience, his re perfect relationship to his father are transferred to us. And that tape recorder, when you are in Christ, when you believe in him, when you accept his gift of grace, that tape recorder no longer speaks a word of judgment over your life. It repeats grace, mercy, forgiveness over you. Grace saves us from wrath to mercy. And when we begin to understand this, when we begin to understand we were dead and now we're alive, we were under judgment and wrath and now we've received mercy, it, none of that, that grace not, doesn't leave us as it found us. In fact, this is a real sign that we've received grace 
is that grace empowers us for good works. It empowers us for good works. Jesus is not content to raise us to new life and to save us from judgment and then say, see you when you die and go to heaven. Congratulations. You've got your rubber stamp. No. This grace actually empowers us to become the people we were designed to be in the beginning. We will not do it perfectly. And in our weak, selfish bent, okay, this propensity that we all have to live for ourselves, which is sometimes in the Bible called the sinful nature. It's, it's a bending toward the self. That is still at work within us, even in Christ, even as believers, and it's wanted us dead and buried the whole time. That is still at work within us. But now we have another power, the power of grace at work within us to grow in good works. Things God designed and purposed for us to do the moment he made you. Thought of you. Loved you. He says, you can actually do this now in my name. And this makes sense, right? When you're raised from death to life, you don't look back at the coffin and say, man, I miss it in there. I'm going to go back. No. When you're pronounced, when your sentence is commuted, you don't still go to prison. You walk away changed. The gift changes you. Grace works the same way. We are now free and empowered for good works. We can approach our lives unlike any other human person. Not as a proving ground for how good we are, which we aren't particularly good at anyway. We no longer need to achieve and climb the corporate ladder or raise the perfect kids or get the perfect grades because we have something to prove to someone that we're worthy of their attention and love. And we no longer have to live our lives numbing ourselves to the pain, depending on our life circumstances, that no one loves us and no one cares about us. No, we can now work because it's an act of worship to the God who is rich in mercy and kindness toward us and who lavishes his love on us through Christ who died for us. Being a, this, here's what that means when you put your faith in Jesus. It means that being a good student, for example, for students in the room, actually prepares you to love your neighbor better to develop the skills and gifts that God gave just to you for the sake of his world. That's an amazing thought. When we accept this gift of grace, we become God's little gifts in everything we say and do that he is preparing for the rest of the world. Your, your faithfulness to your community, to your church, your diligence in your work, these are little graces that point to the big grace of Jesus. And this is more, listen to me, this is more than putting an I Love Jesus mug on your office desk, as important as that may be. And it's more than putting a Bible verse on your backpack as you go back to school, as important as that may be. What it means is that serving your customers well, or putting together an excellent project plan, or leading your team with humility, or studying your spelling and your math are a part of God's good works too. They testify to the God who made you and designed you and loves you and gifted you to serve others. And when we do our good works together, 
Christ's community, just let's talk about our church. When we become more and more known, not simply for our Sunday worship, as important and critical as that is, but for our Monday good works in Jesus' name, there is no more powerful way to point to the gift of grace than that. When people can look at us, no, no matter how old we are, single, married, retired, student, accountant, stay-at-home parent, whatever, when people can look at us and say, that person is alive in a way that I don't understand. When people can look at us and say, that person has a freedom that I do not have. They are serving with a joy and a purpose that's bigger than individual achievement, that's bigger than anything I, I can wrap my mind around. That person, they're retired in a way that isn't just about themselves. They work in such a way that they actually make people better around them, and that seems to bring them joy. What a thought. They love their kids, and they raise them in such a way that isn't about fear or guilt and performance and duty, but is about mercy and grace. If people can look at our good works on Monday, they will see the good news of Jesus' grace. And when we receive this grace, it empowers us for good work like no self-help book, like no leadership training, like no coaching, like no productivity podcast can do because it's a free gift of God himself working through you. And because it unites us to Jesus forever. This is the last thing grace does. In fact, it's actually the idea underneath everything else. It unites us to him forever. Not just in the future, but right now today. This, I'm going to nerd out on you here a little bit, but this is the main thing Paul is trying to say. Every one of these main verbs in Ephesians 2 happens with Jesus. We are made alive with Christ. We are raised up with Christ. And we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, in the throne room, throne room of God in verse 6. Here's what that means. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, when you put your faith in Jesus and he walks out of that grave on Easter morning, you walk out with him too. When Jesus ascends to heaven as the ruler over all things, even right now today, when you put your faith in him, he picks you up and places you up there with him, above it all. And when Jesus sits down on the throne, which is this picture of his authority, that he is now the name above every name. There is now no power greater than him, no voice louder than his, no opinion that matters more. He is the ruler of all things. When he sits down on the throne in heaven, he pats the chair beside him and says, you sit here too. We are with him forever, starting right now. This is our gift this is our good news, that when we place our faith in Jesus, his life becomes our life. And whatever is true of him is true of us. Whatever he has done, we have done. Whatever he has, we have. Whatever good is in him is working itself out in us. And wherever Jesus is in life and death, in mountains and valleys, in darkness and light, wherever Jesus is, you are already with him in faith. And nothing can change that. 
but we need reminding, don't we? For those of us in the room who have placed our faith in Jesus, the difficulties and doubts and distractions of every day can pull us away from the fact that we've been given this incredible gift of grace, which is why we take communion together regularly as a church family. It's a picture of the grace Jesus has given that we could never earn and that we sit at his table even now until he comes again and we see him face to face and that he is not ashamed to share a table with us. This is a celebration for all who put their faith in him. For all who can say with their whole heart, by grace I've been saved and this is not from me. It is a gift of God. That's who this table is for. If you can say these words and mean them, I'm gonna pray here in a minute and then you're invited to this table. If that is not you, if you are not yet able to say these words over your lives, we are so glad that you're here. But I wanna invite you to stay where you are in this next moment and perhaps to pray to God to reveal his grace to you. Like I, as I said, I'm gonna pray here in just a minute and when I'm done, I'm gonna invite you to one of the tables closest to you. There are tables all around the room. This one over here in this front corner on my left is gluten-free if you need that. Come in groups of five or six. You're gonna receive the bread first and you're gonna dip it in the cup and you're gonna wait for everyone to be served and you're gonna receive the elements together as a little church family, as a part of our bigger one. And for those of you who have young children in the room, which is a lot of us today, and those children are not yet of age or they're not ready to receive the elements, that is totally fine. Please bring them with you and wait until everyone is served. And as the group uh, goes back to their seats, you stay behind and our servers are gonna say a blessing over your children. The words are gonna be on the screen. And this is a moment for our young children, our young people to hear Jesus' love and commitment to them as well. And as we prepare our hearts, I want us to come ready to hear Jesus' words again. To hear him say, this is my body broken. This is my blood shed for you. And that because of his victory on the cross, he pulls us out of the grave with him. He saves us from judgment with him. And he seats us above the evil and the chaos of our world around us with him forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each one here who has received your gift of grace. That as we come to your table, we know the prince of the air. There's an evil one who whispers to us, you're not worthy. You don't deserve God's love. If anyone knew who you really were, they would abandon you. We know that, and and in this moment, I pray, Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us and say, yes, we are great sinners. We are dead. We are under wrath, though he is a great Savior, and he is not ashamed of us. He welcomes us to his table of grace. We pray this in his name. Amen. When you're ready, please come.